0: This is a, a church family day, and we're going to read a, a church family text today, First Peter chapter five. We've been in this sermon series, "Living in the real world." And uh, during this series, we've opened up a few parentheses to talk about some real-life issues, like human sexuality and, and money. Uh, If there is a triad that we all wrestle with, with a triad of forces in our world, then I imagine it is the triad of money, sex, and power. Uh, Richard Foster, in a book that carries that title, he says this, no human realities have greater power to bless or to curse. No three issues touch us more profoundly or universally. It's a... powerful statement. Today we're going to talk about authority and power in the life of the church family. And as always, God's perspective on authority and power is life-giving. It's enlightening. In this passage, there's a very specific word for elders, but there are words that apply to all of us. We all need to hear what the Holy Spirit says through Peter in this passage just to set the context for the passage, every passage in Scripture is written within a context. There is a set of circumstances. What's behind 1 Peter chapter 5? Well, Peter, he writes to the church in Asia Minor, or better, uh, the churches in Asia Minor. It's a time when the church is going through a period of, of suffering. It's not systematic, systematic, it's not widespread persecution as yet, but those who follow Jesus, they often find themselves on the margins of society. Most people in their world worship the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the, they worship the Roman emperor, and those that follow Jesus, they're often dishonored, they are maligned, they are slandered. They come under what's called religious discrimination, social pressure. Peter refers to them at the beginning of his letter as the elect exiles. So they're elect. They're special in the eyes of God. They're God's very own possession. They're chosen disciples. They've been born to a living hope. Graced with the Spirit of God, they serve and speak in the name of Jesus. But they're also exiles. They do not feel completely at home where they live. So they're vulnerable. And the question behind today's text is, what kind of shepherding, what kind of leadership does the church in Asia Minor need in order to not only survive but thrive? What kind of shepherding, leadership do you need in this day? This week I heard the story of a church planter who, together with some other followers of Jesus, started a a new church in another province of Canada. After some time, a number of years, the church received a bill from a provincial power utility. It was a bill of $100,000. Unexpected. Unexpected. When they went to the provincial power uh, utility to to talk about the bill, uh, the word that they got was that they had been billed incorrectly for years, and now they needed to pay the bill. They tried to renegotiate the debt, but they were unsuccessful. And as a result, the church closed. So now, this church planter, 50 years of age, well-educated, he had to find his way. And the question, of course, was would he just receive this from God's sovereign hand and seek to experience God's grace? Would he become better as a result or or bitter? Only one letter needs to change to go from better to bitter. So he made the choice to receive it from the Lord. He humbled himself and he went to work in a warehouse joined the crew of the warehouse. After some time, he became known as the pastor to the warehouse. Today, he serves as a counselor in another church. Those that know him say that he is very, very gracious. Now, the question I ask myself and I ask you is, who would you like to have as your shepherd? That church planter, before he went through a time of suffering and experienced God's grace or after I think most of us would choose the one that had gone through the time of suffering and in the midst of that had experienced God's goodness God's grace had been shaped by it shepherds always serve in a context of grace and suffering as we read through the letter of first peter that becomes evident Shepherds always serve in a context of grace and suffering. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So, based on the previous four chapters, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, as you can see, a very specific word for elders, for shepherds, but also words that apply to all of us. Here at Willingdon Church, there are many that serve in a shepherding function. There are elders and pastors and small group leaders. There are people that serve in student ministries, kids' ministries, there are mentors. The word elders that's used here, just a quick note about it, it is the most common word in the New Testament for church leaders. It always appears in the plural. It's used for church leaders in Jerusalem, in all of Palestine, in the whole of Asia, elders. It's used for house church leaders. It's used for the leaders of larger congregations, Another thing about the word elders, you will find that the word elder and shepherd and overseer, these three words are used interchangeably. For example, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Luke, he's writing about Paul's visit to Ephesus. Luke, Acts 20, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then Paul says this to the elders, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So you see that eldering, shepherding, and overseeing are applied to the same group of leaders. Here in our text, 1 Peter 5, Peter presents himself as an elder. He's an apostle. But here he talks about himself as a fellow elder, a fellow uh, witness, and a fellow partaker. We always listen best to those who identify with us. He's a fellow elder. He, he understands the trials and pressures of elders. He understands their fears. He understands what keeps them awake at night. Peter, a fellow elder. He's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So as he writes this, is he thinking about being an eyewitness of Christ's sufferings. He did see Christ suffer. He did see the the tide of public opinion turn against Jesus. He did see the Jewish leaders plot to kill Jesus. He was there when Jesus was arrested. He knew that a fellow disciple, Judas, had betrayed Jesus. Peter himself caused some suffering for Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. So maybe as he writes these words, he thinks of the day when Jesus, you know, turned to him and the rooster crowed after he had denied Jesus three times. That could be the meaning here. But many commentators, and I agree with them, believe that... Peter is saying that he's a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ because the word witness is tied back to elder and the qualifier fellow. So he's saying, I'm a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. As I proclaim the gospel, I share in the sufferings of Jesus as a witness. And you, as elders in the churches of Asia Minor, you too will share in the sufferings of Christ as you witness to him, as you speak forth the truth of the gospel. In fact, in contexts of outright persecution, often the elders, the pastors, the shepherds are the first to be targeted. I think of the testimony of a friend of mine who lives in a, a communist country and he has been imprisoned multiple times. And he testifies that when he is in prison, he experiences the presence of Jesus with him in a very palpable way. And he has experienced God's grace in that suffering During those times in prison, he has had the joy of sharing the gospel of Jesus with other men. And he has seen the lives of men transformed by the power of the gospel. He has experienced God's grace in the suffering. And I would say that through those times of suffering, he has been transformed by Jesus himself. By Jesus, he uh, is a gentle man. He's a gracious man. He talks a lot about the love of Jesus. Peter, he's a fellow elder. He's a fellow witness. He's a fellow partaker. Fellow partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. You see, suffering for Christ and partaking in the future glory, they are two sides of the same coin. And Peter has talked about this a number of times in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And then 1 Peter 4, verse 13. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So as Pastor Willie said last weekend, suffering for Christ is to be expected. And it's endured now by the power of the Spirit. It's also endured because we look toward future glory, eternity with Christ. So Peter, he presents himself to the elders of the churches of Asia Minor as a fellow elder, a fellow witness, and a fellow partaker. And then he reminds them that they have been given something very, very precious to steward. Something has been placed under their care. And what is it that is so precious to God? Well, it's God's people. It's the flock of God. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Peter's mind must have gone back to that day on the shores of Galilee when Jesus appeared. You know, after Jesus' crucifixion, Peter and some other disciples, they went to Galilee. They went fishing. And they fished all night. Caught nothing. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And that changed everything. Jesus calls out to the disciples that are out in the boat... Have you caught some fish? And they respond, Nothing, not even a nibble. The not even a nibble I answered, or I added, Nothing, I haven't caught a thing. And so Jesus says to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat. They do that. And there are so many fish that they can't haul the nets in, or at least they struggle to do it. As they're hauling in those fish, John perceives what's happening and he leans over to Peter and says, it's the Lord. Peter, when he hears that, he puts on his outer garment and he dives into the water and he swims the fastest 100 meters he has ever swum. Gets to the shore and Jesus already has a fire going. Uh, The scriptures say a charcoal fire. And, and the fish and the bread are already prepared. And Jesus invites the disciples into a conversation. And in that conversation, he focuses on Peter. We get to listen in. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter if you truly love me then then care for my sheep tend my sheep feed my sheep now if peter were to be our elder our shepherd would we want to follow the peter before he denied jesus and suffered through that experience and was restored, or would we want to follow the Peter after his restoration? I think we would all say, no, we would love to follow the Peter that had matured, the Peter that had gotten some things wrong, but he had been, he was restored by Jesus, and now he leads out of that experience. We always serve in a context of grace and grace and suffering. Peter, he experienced God's grace. Jesus commissioned him to follow. And now Peter, in 1 Peter 5, he's commissioning other elders to follow that same shepherd, Jesus. What does he have in mind? Well, Jesus Jesus is the one who looks at the crowds and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as as harassed and helpless. He, He feels compassion for them. He loves the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He goes to the cross for his sheep. That's the Jesus who serves as a model for the elders. Peter received his commissioning from that shepherd. And now he commissions these elders in 1 Peter 5. They are to shepherd God's flock. The flock is not Peter's. It doesn't belong to an elder. They are to shepherd God's people. So shepherds are commissioned to care for the flock of God. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What's involved in the overseeing shepherding role? Well, as we read through the scriptures, at least five things appear. One is that shepherding happens in relationship. Shepherds walk in relationship with the Father as Jesus did. They are also to be found among the sheep. So, relationship with God and God's people. Secondly, leading. Shepherds are to lead the sheep to life, help the flock to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Thirdly, feeding. Shepherds disciple sheep toward maturity. Often the teaching actually happens in relationship, life on life. Fourthly, caring, watchful caring. Shepherds care for those that are sick, that are injured, that are straying. And then fifthly, protecting. Protecting the sheep from attack, from false teaching, from doctrinal fads, from attacks that come from within. Those are five things that shepherds are to do. Now, how are they to carry out these shepherding functions? How are they to carry out these overseeing functions? Functions. Well, Peter provides us three sets of qualifiers here in verses 2 and 3. Let's begin at the middle of verse 2. He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So, not under compulsion, not forced, not serving under pressure, not obligated, but willingly, gladly, wholeheartedly, as God would have you, according to the will and character of of God. Being an elder can be quite interesting. Peter witnessed some very, very different meetings. There was the meeting in Jerusalem when he and other disciples of Jesus, they were gathered, they were praying, and as they prayed, the Holy Spirit came over them. They, they spoke in other tongues and that caused some confusion. And on that day, Peter stood up and he proclaimed the gospel and 3,000 people were baptized. What a great meeting! Wouldn't it be great if every meeting was like that? There are also meetings where there is confusion of a different kind. For example, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, some people aren't getting the food that they think they should get, so they complain, and the elders have to make some leadership decisions. Acts chapter 15, the gospel has spread. And so people from different cultures are, are deciding to follow Jesus. And there's all kinds of conversation about what does it mean to be Christian in these different cultures. And so the, Acts 15 says there's actually vigorous debate. And there's prayer. And there's discernment. And they make some decisions around Christian ethics. In fact, way back there in Acts chapter 15, they talk about sexuality. That's what we talked about this year. Eldering includes all of that. It includes those wonderful days when you experience the move of God in in just a beautiful way and people come to faith. There are also days when there is disagreement, when people are disappointed. So Peter speaks to these elders. He's a fellow elder. He's a fellow witness. He's a fellow partaker. And he says to them, don't serve under compulsion, but do it eagerly as God would have you. Don't do it for shameful gain," he says. Gain, he says. Even in the first century, some people were in it for the money. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, with enthusiasm, eager to give, not to get. If you're new to Willingdon, um, you know one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that uh, when, when people give their tithes and offerings, it is not one or two elders that make a decision around how that money will be invested or used in the kingdom. There are account teams. There's an administrative team. There's a finance team. There are many people that participate in the process to ensure that we walk with integrity. There's an agreed-upon budget. And, you know, ministry leaders and pastors and elders, many have participated in the creation of that budget. And the intent is to do it under God's direction so that this church will be blessed and those beyond this church will be blessed. I'm thankful for that. At the same time, we need to hear the word, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then not domineering over, not lording it over, not controlling those in your charge, those that have been allotted to you in God's providence, but being examples to the flock. Why would Peter say that? Why would he talk about domineering? Well, he's writing to people that live in Asia Minor. And in Greco-Roman societies, status was really cherished. Authority meant power and control. That's just what it meant. Those who were subjected to authority, well, usually the slaves, women, the children, they were subjects to be subdued. Authority was asserted to, to preserve honor. And that was understood to be right and good. Our society and at times our home cultures will have taught us that to be someone in this world, you need to dominate others. If you're in authority, you have the right to dominate, you have the right to control, the right to take advantage of, and those that are under your authority, well, they honor you by Receiving your leadership unquestioningly. Peter has something very different in mind when he talks about the authority of elders. He's embraced what some call the upside-down kingdom. It's not his idea. It's not his vision. He got it from someone else. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, That's the example of authority that Peter has in mind. The best oversight is not domination. It's a life of service. It's the life of Jesus modeled, exemplified. When shepherds are servants, you see, their egos are not in play. They live crucified with Christ, dead to themselves. What matters is the relationship of God's people with Jesus. What matters is the advance of God's kingdom, not theirs. What matters is the revelation of Christ's glory, not their own honor. This changes everything. Peter knew that the church in Asia Minor was exposed. He knew it was vulnerable. These fledgling congregations lived during a difficult time. He knew that spiritual abuse could happen very easily. But he also knew that should these elders follow the way of Jesus, then the church would be cared for. It would be well-led. It would be protected. It would be loved. The shepherds would lay down their lives for the sheep. Shepherds exemplify the character of the chief shepherd Jesus. That's what they're called to. They're not called to follow the patterns of this world. So it's a high calling. Elders might feel overwhelmed. Peter has a word of encouragement for them, a word of comfort, of motivation. Verse 4, "'And when the chief shepherd appears, "'you will receive the unfading crown of glory.'" When the chief shepherd appears, the chief shepherd, of course, would have been the supervisor of other shepherds because the flock was just too large for one shepherd. Elders are always under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus. He is the pastor and overseer of their souls. Now, the word of comfort is that they don't walk alone. Jesus is with them. Jesus is in them the helping presence, and when Jesus appears at his second coming, they will receive the unfading crown of glory. The the crown was a wreath made of flowers. It it was presented to uh, the victors uh, in athletic contests, uh, given to the, the heroes coming home from military conquests. So the elders are going to receive a wreath of flowers. It's an unfading crown. We're in the middle of spring, so we've already seen a lot of flowers blossom, and we've also seen them wilt very quickly. Peter's talking about an unfading crown. The word unfading, it's, it comes from an amaranth, a red flower whose color did not fade. Unfading because the reward is not dependent on the efforts of the elders or the efforts of the shepherds. Unfading because the reward is dependent on Christ's return, and that is secure. They love, they serve, they persevere, not for the wilting, falling flowers of human glory in this life, but they serve for the unfading crown of glory that will be presented to them by Jesus on his return. Nothing can make this eternal crown fade. Not death, not time, not shaming, nor persecution, nor the evil one. Nothing can make the eternal crown that God's people will receive, nothing can make it fade because it comes from Jesus. So shepherds receive their crown from the chief shepherd. And then Peter has a word for all of us. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now some would say that this word younger refers just to those who are younger in age. And so everybody over 30 is now exempt. No. Um, Many commentators agree that the word younger actually refers to all those who are not elders and shepherds in the life of the church. So a word for all of us. Be subject, submit. Sometimes a hard word to to hear, but I think it's helpful to understand what the word actually means. At the center of that word for submission is the word order. And so whenever we submit, we're recognizing the divine ordering of life, that in the ordering of life, God has established authority for our good. Good. All members have equal dignity before God. We are all created in the image of God. All followers of Jesus, graced by the same Holy Spirit, all gifted by God. But all people do not have the same God-appointed roles. All equal, but different roles. So when church members submit to elders, they do so out of a relationship with Christ, out of reverence for Christ, it's not unthinking obedience. It's not blind subservience. Here at, at Willingdon, you can disagree with the direction uh, sometimes put forward by leadership. But you can do that in a respectful way. So you can enter into conversation. You can pray. You can talk to elders. You can talk to pastors. At the end of the day, we all submit to Jesus. Even I, as lead pastor, in conversation with elders, there are moments when I need to submit to the understanding of the larger group and say, okay, God, I don't understand all things, but out of reverence for you, Jesus, I will submit to the direction given. And I trust you to lead us as your people. We do that out of reverence for Christ. Of course, that kind of life together, it demands humility on the part of all of us. Peter says, verse 5, "...clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud." That word opposes, he resists. He lines up against the proud, those who think they are above. "...but gives grace to the humble. He lavishes his favor on the lowly in heart." God opposes all forms of arrogance. He opposes um, authoritarian, domineering elders. He opposes contentious, rebellious members. He opposes all people who act independently of him. God will always oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So shepherds and their people, better said God's people, must be clothed with humility, When Peter says, when he writes that they should be clothed with humility, what image does he have in mind? Clothed with, it it actually means to to wrap something around oneself, to tie something around oneself. At that time, slaves would uh, tie an apron around themselves before serving people at table. What image does Peter have in mind as he writes these words? On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the gospel of John tells us this, John 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's stunning. Because Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the the Lord of lords. All authority has been given to him. And he wraps himself in humility. He ties it to himself. And he washes the feet of each disciple, even the feet of his betrayer, Judas. John writes, he he loved them to the end. He loved each one to the end. That is the example of leadership and authority, the example of love and service, the, the example of humility and submission that we are called to follow. That was what Peter was calling the church of Asia Minor to follow. Karen Jobes, a commentator in First Peter, writes, and I'll end with this quote. She writes, It is no stretch of the imagination to infer that these earliest Christians of Asia Minor took the Apostle Peter's message of consolation and encouragement to heart, rising to the challenge of leading the church through perilous times, Generation after generation with the humility, strength, and grace that only the Lord can supply. By the second century, there were flourishing, well-established churches in the areas to which Peter wrote. This area became the cradle of Christian doctrine in the first four centuries of the church. So may we hear well what the Spirit of God may be saying to us through the Apostle Peter, through this word today. May we follow the example of Jesus. And if we do, if we follow Jesus now in the 21st century, no matter how difficult life may become, we will be just fine. Because in the midst of suffering, we will experience God's grace. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about um, the church family, what it means to be the family of, of God here, and what uh, God says about authority in the life of the church. As we do that, we, we refer to the Good Shepherd, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the one that came and lived among us and revealed the Father, the heart of the Father, the way of the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He went to the cross and died for us. He took our sin upon himself, paid the price for it, paid the price that we could never pay, and through his death and resurrection opened the way to have intimate relationship with the Father. And so Jesus invites us to know him. And if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus and you're here and you just are yearning for the peace of God in your life, you are looking for forgiveness, you want the gift of eternal life, then Jesus invites you today to receive him. And there's going to be a prayer posted and if you uh, identify with this prayer, just pray it together with me. And then I'll pray a prayer for all of us. God, I desire to know you personally. Please forgive me for leading my own life and rejecting your love. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I ask you to forgive my sins. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. Thank you, God, for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you can come talk to me or go to the Welcome Center. We'd love to encourage you in your journey. And now a prayer for all of us. Jesus, we praise you. You are the chief shepherd of this church. This is your church. We are your flock. Lord, I pray for the shepherds among us, whether they be elders or pastors or small group leaders or mentors. Lord, there are so many shepherds in this church. Grant them your heart. May they serve willingly, eagerly, being examples of who you are, Jesus. Clothe all of us. Lord, in humility, we humble ourselves before you, and may we walk in humility out of love for you, Jesus, out of love for one another, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and week.